19, 16 through 20 from the ESV. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Why, why show a video about basketball on a Sunday morning other than the fact that it's really catchy music? Um, the answer is in some of those things that you were, some of those quotes that they were, they were putting up there on the screen. Did you, hear what, did you see what Wilt Chamberlain said? He said, when I sh- he was talking about shooting underhand, and he could make it. His percentages rose 10.9%. But he went back, after his best game in his career, he went back to shooting it in that traditional style. And he said, I knew it was wrong, but I just couldn't do it. And then they said that Shaq has said, I would rather shoot 0% than shoot underhand. Isn't that amazing? I would rather shoot 0% than shoot underhand. Why? Why is that? Why do these guys have such a hard time when they know that there is a method that is more effective than what they're doing? Why? Why do they have such a hard time switching over? Why do they have such a hard time? Why do they refuse to look at the facts and instead decide that they're just going to keep doing what they've always been doing? Because they think that the other way is sissy. They think that it's shameful. They have these two uh, opposing ideas that are both claiming to be truth. And and the one idea is backed up by this data saying, hey, if you shoot this way, you're going to make it more. Your team is probably going to win more. And then there's this other idea saying, man, that's for sissies. 
That's, that's granny style, although I don't think granny is really a, a cut down. But that's, you know, you can't shoot that way. And so they, they're facing these two truths, these two choices, and all but one player in the NBA and one player in college choose to ignore the data, choose to ignore the truth, that there is a better way, there is a best way to shoot. They choose to ignore that and instead keep going about their way. Because they know the truth, they see the truth, but they just won't follow through with it. Well, it's often the same way in our own lives. And in our passage that we're going to look at today, Paul is presenting this idea that, that there are these other gospels that exist and they're battling for our belief. And we all face this very real temptation to follow after them, to leave behind the truth that we can see, and to follow after these other Gospels that we're being presented with. For example, sometimes I'm tempted to follow my own rules. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do it when I want to do it, as if nobody else has any real say in my life. The only problem is, that's atheism. This idea that there is no God and therefore none of his rules apply to me and so I can decide what's right for myself and I can decide when. It's, it's practically, it's atheism. Or sometimes when people hear that I'm a Christian, they'll say something like, I'm really glad that that works out for you. That's just not my thing. And it sounds very nice and very complimentary and oh, well, thank you. That's, okay, but the problem is... That's universalism and some, other, some of these other ideas all mixed in there. This idea that everything's just going to work itself out and you choose your thing and you choose your thing and, and you know what? All roads lead to the, to the same end, right? And we could go on and on about these different gospels that tempt us, like the gospel of more money will make me feel better or the gospel of I can do it all by myself or the gospel of the Lord helps those who helps themselves. Have you heard that one? Or the gospel of my health and my safety are the things that matter the most. The only problem is these are false gospels that are competing for our attention, that are competing for our allegiance. And it's, it's just like Chamberlain and his free throws. Sometimes we're, we're tempted to ignore the truth and to go back to something that just doesn't work. So last week we looked at uh, Paul's conversion and we were reminded that God can change anybody. Right? But this week we're going to look at Paul's own account of his conversion. And we're going to see why we should believe this gospel instead of the other ideas that are claiming to be true. So would you turn with me, please, to Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Galatians chapter 1, 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, 
nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we study your word, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Uh, Change us and help us to be more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the Galatian problem here is the same one that we face today. They're they, they have seen the truth, they know the truth, they've heard the truth, but they're having this temptation to, to move away from it towards something else. And so Paul is, is writing this letter to encourage them, to draw them back to the gospel of grace, to draw them back to it, and he starts off by giving his testimony. And he's giving his testimony in such a way as to show them that what he preached isn't something that he made up. Instead, he's saying that what he preached, it's the same thing that the disciples preached, but he heard it from Christ himself. In other words, this gospel, it didn't just come out of nowhere. It's not something that a bunch of people got together and and conspired to create for the sake of fooling the masses. They don't even have a reason to do that. And even if they had, later on, they go on to die for something. They go on to die for this. Why would they do that if it was a lie? So this gospel isn't a conspiracy. Paul is saying something very similar to what we just read in Exodus, that this gospel, this gospel comes from God. God has given us this gospel, and this is an accurate record of God's involvement in this world that he made, and the very words that we read are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they are infused with Holy Spirit power. That's what Paul is starting to get at here. And so we're going to talk through a a, a few different reasons on why to believe the gospel. But we're going to start that, and I'm going to ask you the question. This is question and answer time. Why do you believe the gospel? Why do you believe the gospel? And I'm going to stare at you for a little bit, because you can answer the question. Why do you believe the gospel? It's true in your life. You see it played out in your life. Yeah. Why else? Why do you believe the gospel? It's the inspired word of God. Good. Why do you believe the gospel? Yeah. Once you start to once you come to true knowledge, what are you going to do but believe it? So we're going to talk. I'm going to I'm going to tell you a few reasons why. Why I believe the gospel. And, it, and, and touching on this passage here and touching on some other passages in this letter. Why do I believe the gospel? For me, the first reason is that God has given us a reasonable gospel. This is, God has given us a reasonable gospel. So what is the gospel? Who is it about? It says here in verses 11 through 12, I would have you know that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor as I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. It's not just the gospel from Jesus Christ. It is the gospel about Jesus Christ, and it is a reasonable gospel. It makes sense to believe this book. Do you know the Christian Bible is the most studied, it is the most accurately preserved ancient text in the world? There are more than 5,000 copies of the entire New Testament alone, uh, or, or extensive portions of it. There are several thousand more fragments on top of that. And then to compare that with another ancient document, there are less than 700 copies of Homer's Iliad. And there are only a handful of copies of any one work of Aristotle. Now, do you hear people going around saying, well, Aristotle didn't write that, and, you know, Homer, Iliad, you know, whatever. No, people look at that, and they, they, they say, this, this book by Homer, this poem by Homer, this is reliable. This stuff by Aristotle, this is reliable. And yet, there are only 700 copies of the Iliad, and less than that, a handful by Aristotle. We have over 5,000 copies of the New Testament alone. That makes sense, right? Does that make sense to you? And it is so incredibly studied. People pour over this. Paul's appeal, as you look through this, is rooted in history, as, as are all of the Gospels, as are everything in the Bible. It's rooted in history. They're using real, place name, real places, real names. They're talking about eyewitnesses, saying, hey, this person saw it. Go talk to them. Paul, in this, in this passage, he's saying, hey, I went to Arabia. I went to Damascus. If you don't believe it, go talk to the people there. They saw me. I was there for three years. And then I went, after three years, I went to talk to Cephas, to Peter. And if you don't believe me, go ask him. And I saw him and I saw James. You can talk to them. And then I went to Syria and Cilicia. And if you don't believe me, go ask them. Right? This is the best kind of evidence that you can have, eyewitness evidence, rooted in history, real places, real names, where all it takes is for the Galatians to read this, to go talk to somebody and say, hey, did this really happen? No. All right, get rid of it. And, you know, we actually have record of that kind of thing happening among the early church. When someone tried to write a letter claiming that Paul had written it, claiming that it was, it was uh, something to add into the gospel, you know what? Christians started to investigate it. They said, this doesn't sound right. They started to investigate it. They found out it was a fraud. And you know what they did? They went to the person that wrote it and they said, hey, you're out. You can't do that. That's not true. Everything here has to be true. And so it is a reasonable gospel. It makes sense to believe it. It makes sense to believe it because from a historical perspective, this book is incredibly Incredibly accurate and reliable. It has been proven through the test of time, proven through the test of study. Of study. And so what do we have to do? We have to read it. You have to read it. You can't know the truth that's in here unless you read it. Or you can listen to it, put it on a book on tape, listen to it, tape, CD, no, still, MP3, Put it on your iPod or your iPod. Do they even make iPods anymore? Put it on your iPhone, right? Play it. Listen to it. Talk about it. Think about it. Ask questions of it. Ask other people questions of it. And you will find that this is a reasonable gospel. 
Second reason, I believe, is that God has given us a beautiful gospel. He has given us a beautiful gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, if you turn ahead to Galatians 5, 19 through 23, Galatians 5, I went too far, here we go. Galatians 5, 19 through 23. Listen to this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Have you ever heard of another gospel that so perfectly condemns the things that ought to be condemned? that looks at the things that are wrong and says, this is wrong. This is not okay. And at the same time, so perfectly uplifts these things of virtue. These beautiful, beautiful things that we look at. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self. You, you listen to those things. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. These things that are not just ideals. It's not just saying, hey, you know, it would be a good idea. It's saying the Holy Spirit himself is working these things out in you. What a beautiful, beautiful idea that God has brought these ideas, has brought these things into existence, has presented them out there for us, and then he's given, he's put the power in us to make those things a reality. No other gospel finds a home for perfect justice and perfect mercy. No other gospel, no other religion calls for perfection and then God himself meets that requirement on our behalf. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful thing to look at? No other gospel puts up something like courage as an ideal. Has anybody here watched Band of Brothers or read the book about Band of Brothers? Do you know the story of, uh, uh, of Richard Winters and, and uh, Easy Company in World War II? Band of Brothers, if you haven't watched it, it's a great, great miniseries. Um, you can read the book about it. But it follows Easy Company going through World War II. It, it starts in jump training follows them through airborne landings in Normandy. It goes all the way with them through the war's end. And one person who stands out the whole time is Major Richard Winters. He keeps going no matter what. He protects his men while accomplishing their, objective, their objectives. And if you go look him up, this man is so incredibly decorated, highly decorated for all the things that he did during the war. He was a regular speaker at West Point after all of these things. And now I want you to imagine, this is, this is how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, imagine a country where people were admired for running away 
in battle. He says, imagine a country where a man felt proud of double-crossing all of the people who had been kindest to him. You can't do it, can you? You can't do it. These things like courage, like love, like joy, these things that, that are such beautiful, beautiful things, they don't just exist. They're not just accidents of natural selection. They fly in the face of something like that. They exist because God himself is their origin. And we look at them and it's a sign. If we look at them and we truly look at them, it's a sign of who God is. And that beauty of them can give us confidence to believe and to delight in God's word. And so when I look at the beauty of the gospel, I know that I need to delight in it. I can't see the courage. I can't see the love, joy, peace, patience. I can't see that in itself, but I can see it in action. And when I see it, I can delight in the gospel and the God who produces these qualities in us. Now, I will say just real quick, there's a difference between personality and fruit, right? You might see an unbeliever who is kind. You might see an unbeliever who is exceptionally courageous. That can be personality. That can be coming from their circumstance, but that's not fruit of the Spirit unless they have the Spirit in them. And only believers, only believers have that fruit being produced. We don't have a choice. Did you know that? If you're a believer, you don't have a choice but to grow in all of those things because the Holy Spirit is already at work in you producing those things. And so when I look at the beauty of the gospel, I want to delight in it. The third reason is that I believe this gospel comes from God is that God has given us a life-changing gospel. Look at Paul's own life. Here in verse 13, 113, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And he goes on talking about he was advancing in Judaism far beyond anyone of his day. And God comes in and changes his life. Now, just let me just ask you, what could come and take someone so committed to an idea that they were willing to kill those who were against them? What would make them convert to that idea? Do you know what the Jews did when Pilate tried to bring in these these standards, these um, these images of an emperor? He tried to bring them into the, the temple, into the Jewish temple. And do you know what the Jews did? They went, they gathered, they massed around this place. And they said, you can't bring those into this temple. And so Pilate came, and he surrounded them with his soldiers, and they pulled out their swords. And Pilate said, oh, yeah? And these Jews, these God-fearing Jews, they leaned over, and they said, so be it. Take my life, take my head, before before I will let you blaspheme our God. That's the kind of commitment that these Jews had. That's the kind of commitment that Paul had. And what causes these Jews who are that committed to change? What causes them to now recognize Jesus is the Son of God and this gospel has come from God? It is the life-changing power of the gospel at work in them. And we still see that today. We still see that kind of thing today. If you start to read, if you start to read about reports of what's happening in, in, uh, among Muslim believers, in fact, Uh, we will have a man here preaching, I think on World Communion Sunday, who works with 
underground believers in, I believe, in Iran. And he'll tell you, Jesus is appearing to these people. He is reaching them in dreams. He's reaching them in visions. However, he has to do it. And he is making radical changes in people. He still does this today. It is a life-changing gospel. It changes cities. This gospel changes cities. Like, think about, I think about 251 AD. There was a plague going through Carthage in North Africa. Piles of dead. People would leave family members dead in the street. They would abandon them. If they were sick, they would leave. And the pagans started to blame the Christians. And they started to persecute them. And do you know what they did? Can anyone guess? What did the Christians do? They stayed. They helped. If they had money, they used the money for it. If they didn't have money, then they used their hands. They stayed. They made no distinction if they were helping a believer or if they were helping a pagan. They died alongside them. They took the dead and they buried them. And you know how long they did it? Five years This gospel is a life-changing gospel. It changes lives. It changes cities. And it's still doing that today. Do you know this church alone helped bring Habitat for Humanity into this city? This church helped bring Young Life into this city and is still doing that. You'll hear more about that in a little bit. This church, go look sometime. There's there's a panel with elders on it uh, from, from years back. And you'll look at some of the names. And if you've been to Amarillo College, I went there. If you've been to Amarillo College, you'll recognize some of those names because people at this church helped start that college. People at this church helped start Square Mile, the children's home. Right? Christians are not done because this is a life-changing gospel still. And it is still testifying that this gospel is from God. You know, even secular uh, media outlets are recognizing. They're looking at Houston They're looking at the path of Irma, and they are recognizing that if any recovery is going to happen, they need the church. Because this is a life-changing gospel, and it is still changing lives. And so when I look at that, I realize I have to live it. I have to live it out. I can't go back and forth between shooting a free throw underhand and shooting it the traditional way. I have to live it out. I see this truth. I see this as God's gospel, and now I have to live it. And I have to let my life also, we have to let our lives continue to be a testimony to the truth of God, continue to be a testimony that this gospel comes from God. God has given us a reasonable gospel. He has given us a beautiful gospel, a life-changing gospel. And the Holy Spirit himself takes that truth and he works it into our lives And he gives us confidence in its truth. And now, for us to cooperate with his spirit, let's read it. Let's delight in the beauty of this gospel. And let's live it. Live it out each and every day. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the gospel that you have given us. Holy Spirit, would you cause us to believe your word? Would you cause us to read it? Would you cause us to delight in it? To look at the majesty and the wonder of who you are through the lens of the gospel? And would you help us to live it out as we ought? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you help us in our weakness. And we thank you that, Jesus, you have accomplished all that we need. In Jesus' name.